0: Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, this disclaimer,
1: the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College.
0: And we'll begin with our customary prayer. The eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Amen.
1: Amen. Good translation from the King James that I scribbled <laughs> down for you, I, uh, which reminisce, makes me reminisce <laughs> about my dad. So, not that time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There's a rough translation, but it is. No, was I, a... I
1: appreciate that. <clears throat> yeah, before we got on the air, John, you and I were.
0: Um, admiring the coffee mugs that I pulled out. And yeah, specifically yours here is uh, almost looks like marble. Yeah. And it's got Niagara Falls, kind of like a classic rubber stamp sort of Yeah, one of my tourists brought
1: this back from, a, I think it was a mission trip of some kind. So, yeah, it triggered this memory. So I got to tell you a quick story.
0: I'm um, always down.
1: Yeah. So the first time I met my advisor... Um, shout out to Dr. Ben Fraser, former Pentecostal minister who we, you know we had lots to talk about. Um, first time I met him, he was in front of a group of PhD candidates and he had three coffee mugs. Have you heard this story, John?
0: I have not. This oh, is okay. brand new oh, okay. content for me. So,
1: so <laughs> he asked uh, all of the trembling PhD candidates which mug they liked the best. And so we're all trying our best to be... It's <laughs> like a test, I like know. a psychological... We know, yeah. yeah, we don't know what the point is, but <laughs> we dutifully began to discuss which mug we liked the best. And um, no one had commented on the third mug, which was this little dinky, little white, chintzy rummage sale mug with a, with a tacky daisy daisy on it. No one even mentioned that in the running of the best mug. And that's when uh, Ben Fraser, first time I ever was in a room with him, he's already starting to cry (laughs) as he holds up this stupid mug. And his story was of how his wife left him and took their two boys, two little boys, way across the country, the other side of the country, and how then that next Christmas, after months away from his children, one of them gave him that coffee mug, that chintzy little white mug with a daisy on it, and... And he's, he says, this is my favorite. And the tears are just rolling down. He's unashamed, you know, not wiping them away. And that's when he gives his little speech. And I got a version of this myself, but his speech of why, why I studied communication. And he was just saying things like, we're not animals who experience reality nakedly. We have symbols that we put in between. And he's just talking about the humanity of working with symbols and language and communicating and knowing and being known. And it's just crying his eyes out. What's kind of funny is I've, not funny, that's not the right word, but I've, I I saw him give that speech at least five times in the program. And every single time he cried the same way, but uh, in a very sincere way. So that's his story about why I care about communication. and. And uh, so anyway, that's a random yeah. memory that these mugs <laughs> triggered for me. It's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, maybe that's a good segue to our topic because it's an emotional story, mm-hmm. emotional to remem- remember it. Our topic today is empathy. And John, I think you plan to lead us out with a little scripture. Yeah,
0: we've got a, a very um, pretty brief verse uh, from from Romans uh, Romans 12 here. Um, it's verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a definition, but it's just a kind of a picture of what empathy is. And so, I mean, that's the—that's our topic for today mm-hmm. is um, empathy and all of the various things that sure. are tied through that throughout communication, theology. Sure. And so when we're talking about empathy, we're not, we're not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole here it's very clearly laid out through us like mm-hmm. in scripture here that this is this is a way for christians to be in the world right. this is how this is how we are to be and I and so we're not that. we're not we're not trying to you know put something here like apply something in some new way this isn't new stuff it's all it's all right here in scripture and it's also, you know, kind of scattered throughout communication as well. And so we're going to talk about all of those things and how exactly. they're all all Just tied together.
1: Such a natural fit. No big leap. No big leap to try to force these things from a into yeah. a biblical Christian view. It's right there. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And and of course it's all modeled by Christ Himself. We have the the prophecy of the one who shared all our sorrows, carried all our sorrows. You know, um, Jesus sort of melting beside. Mary, Martha, at the death of Lazarus, feeling feeling in, you know, feeling with. So, yeah, empathy is our subject matter. Um, where to start? I've got a book off my shelf. It's been out a few years now by Daniel Pink called A Whole New Mind. And the premise of the book is just... <clears throat> think about... The, at the time it was written, he was writing about all the jobs going to India or places like that, you know, where they're, where they're not coming back. You know, computers can... Diagnose disease better than people can, can give legal advice better than people can. And so the, the premise of the book is you should find something to do that only people can do as far as your... <laughs> well, book. I need to it find should. that computer, <laughs> I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. So what can only people do? And he's got a chapter on humor, a chapter on design, a chapter on... I think there's like six things that he identifies. Um, and empathy is one of them. And I remember, I haven't even cracked the book, but I remember him writing about... Um, Harvard Medical, Harvard Business College, having courses in Empathy 101. And uh, the students call it touchy-feely 101, and it's kind of made fun of, it, as you can imagine, and yet it's standing room only, that that there is even at Harvard Business, maybe Harvard Medical is more obvious, but even Harvard Business College, there's an understanding that uh, empathy isn't just something terrible happens, how should I be with this person, but it's... It's really more of an everyday capability. It's, it's. I think he writes about, boy, oh, you can't comfort a child, you can't understand an argument that someone's making to you or what it means to them. You can't walk out of a business meeting, a um, meeting with clients, like you and I have been talking about privately. You can't know what happened in that room without this human capability, that again is fully validated in the scriptures. is Is worthwhile to to connect with people at this level, not just words, but at the level of feeling too.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's a a great strategy uh, for how to, um, well, if we're going to segue from our last episode, which was about Mm -hmm. culture, um, which was more analytical, maybe getting to the point of like, just how am I observing cultures? And maybe you get into like, how can we critique them or how are we observing where empathy is now like, that's a practice that when you're in that situation now, this is, this is a, um, a worthwhile way to go about it. And it's uh, certainly a good thing to be, um, aware of. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, yeah. and, and it does seem like culture, which we talked about does throw up special challenges to empathy. If,
0: yeah. There's certain barriers to, right. you know, how do you empathize with someone who can't or won't look you in the eye or how are you going to empathize with someone who has a different view of what power distance is? Mm -hmm. And maybe you can't even have a conversation with Mm -hmm. them without them being very uncomfortable.
1: Or as we talked about what, how someone is experiencing shame or how they're experiencing the gospel itself.
0: Yeah, um, can are have you going to
1: surprises in it? So how do I Are you going to get blank
0: stares, to, or are you going to exactly really touch to the core of yeah. of what their their culture is? So,
1: and I think it's our own culture too. I'm sure this has come up before. I can't remember, but you know, as a deeply divided, polarized culture, there's another set of challenges to empathy where you just can. Can be locked in, I it communicating, not I thou. You yeah. Know, and you just are not treating the person as a human being. You, you lose that. You lose that. Yeah. You know it's
0: I mean? very, very easy to see that fall to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: a day to day capability of feeling with, feeling into situations is much to be coveted. I wholeheartedly concur. Okay. So where to go next? Um, I, I have uh, often thought about three approaches to empathy. And so the three are, and, and you, you see this all over the literature, um, sympathy, empathy, and perspective taking. Yeah. And the, the, the problem or question is always, how do you distinguish sympathy from empathy? And uh, do you want to take a crack at that? I didn't warn you about this either, yeah John.
0: So I remember we actually had this discussion when I was in your class here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was was there a video that came along with it, but it essentially essentially painted this picture of someone's in a pit and it's like, it's a bad day. You know, they're not having a good day. It's a bad day. And someone else comes along, uh, happens upon this situation. And they're, I remember they're like standing on the top kind of, Like, like they're kind of saying like, I'm sad that you're down there. Like, sorry, I'm sorry that you're down there. That's, that would be sympathy. You're like, you're recognizing their position. Um, and, but really that's about it. You're kind of, maybe it's a step beyond, like you're, you're in dialogue with them. It's a step beyond just observing the situation, which would be like taking a perspective perhaps. Um, but you're, You're in communication, but there's certain, there's still a distance between you. Whereas empathy is like, I am going to climb down into the pit with you and sit with you here. That would be like, I'm sad that you're here. I'm here with you.
1: You're referencing a Brene Brown video, which has millions of views. I think it must be a TED talk that then someone made... Dramatized with a cartoon or something. Yeah. But so yeah, someone on top is just not sharing the same experience or having their own experience around someone who's suffering. You know, you feel helpless or whatever. It's, it's your experience, not theirs. And then uh, she talks about the the way you might try to put a server lining around it and say, at least you have this, at least this didn't happen. And, and there's a whole set of approaches that are not the same as climbing down in the pit, which she describes as... I'm willing to be in touch with a part of me that knows this feeling, you know, um, we haven't had the same experiences, but there's maybe still a core set of emotions, shame, fear, guilt, um, anxiety, um, that we can share. So,
0: yeah. 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 I, I remember, I remember the picture of mm-hmm. the, of the pit as like, when I think of empathy, that's kind of one of the first things that comes to mind,
1: Well, that strikes me because uh, when I was back in college taking Hebrew from the great scholar Paul Eichmann, he would always teach the Joseph narratives. And um, he asked us one day, you don't remember much from college, what profs actually said, but he asked a bunch of young college guys what you could do for Joseph when he's in his pit. He asked that exact question. And you don't know what's coming, you don't know what the future holds, so what could you do for Joseph when his brothers have put him in a pit about to sell him? And... And Paul Ekman's answer was nothing unless you're willing to get in the pit with him. So I've had that metaphor kind of on my mind for a long yeah. time. It's the willingness to to be present and the willingness to feel and not throw words at something, Yeah. but to, to remain. It's like the... I always ask students, so Job's friends, Job lost everything. Where is his friends doing their best? And it's how they... They hear what happened to Job, the great loss, and they come from a distance. They see his suffering, and they're so respectful of it. They see how great it is, the text says, that they spend seven days sitting with him in silence. And it's when they open their mouths and try to put words on this and try to maybe alleviate their own discomfort of what happened to Job that they start to make everything worse. But that first initial instinct of sort of being hesitant to say too much, at least in terms of easy explanations that was their best instinct
0: yeah so that's a book i need to go through again Mm -hmm. it's been a it's been a minute yeah a hot minute yeah since i've crawled through joe
1: but so that's why i see this video and it shows a person falling into the pit and and wow i thought about it that way before for a long time so metaphorical it really is
0: yeah it really is yeah so um maybe that kind of I remember one of the things that came up as we were discussing that in our class is um, something like, what is the appropriateness of using empathy as a way of relating to someone? And a lot of times the discussion around empathy, at least for me, and maybe this is a flaw that I have is that um, there needs to be more empathy in the world. We need to take this into more situations because I see a lack of it in many, many areas, which we can, I mean, maybe have another podcast about at a separate time, but maybe we can take the other side of that coin and say, when, when would empathy maybe not be the best way to, to relate to a certain situation? If, yeah, I I like that question. Yeah.
1: I I often feel if that doesn't come up, then I've maybe given my students the false impression that empathy is always called for yeah, or maybe. always what you do, and it's just yeah. simply not. I Remember, I, I taught this at a congregation one time, and there was a actually a hostage neg- negotiator there who just said there's, there's sometimes real mistakes a person makes in empathizing rather than maintaining neutrality. That'd be just one kind of example from that world. I think about when my own misery is sort of Selfish, reposing you pausing? Yeah. There we go. Testing, testing, are we back? We're back. OK.
0: All right. Sorry. We had a brief technical difficulty. Okay. Please empathize with me.
1: (laughs) I feel you, John. I do. Um, I was saying if I have to admit that sometimes my own misery is just sort of a result of selfishness and, you know, self-obsession, self, you know, you don't need to empathize, empathize with that. I mean, it's, it's good as a communicator to understand where it's coming from, but you don't. I don't need a response from you of "Oh, you poor guy." You know, I need something different in yeah. that moment. So and,
0: maybe if there's like a narcissism in sure, the situation, sure. It's like we don't or?
1: empathize in general with sin. I mean, it's still useful to know what people are feeling, but we don't yeah. have a response of necessarily compassion when someone is just needs to grow up. You know, yeah, for yeah. example. So mm. we're not at all saying this is the only thing you ever do and that every situation calls for it. That's not what we're saying. It's just, um, when a situation does call for it, I'd like to have, you know, a set of responses for how to
0: deal with people who are, you know, in difficulty. For sure. Um, I'm trying to think of another time where perhaps empathy might not be the best approach. And what's coming to mind is, um, I think I remember, maybe it was from our class together, but it was, um, like what to say at a funeral essentially was like the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's things to not say. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of them was kind of like, maybe it was like, I understand what you're going through right now might not be the best thing to say at that time, where it might be disrespectful of the situation that someone's going through. Well, it's probably not true. Yeah. It's it's the problem. If if you've never, you know, lost your mom before, it might be...
1: Or you had a different mom and you are now five years into your grief, let's say, and this person is all raw and fresh and they had a different relationship. And there's just a lot of reasons to hold that sentiment back. Yeah. I know just how you're feeling. It. It can tend if to it's,
0: go wrong. If it's not, especially if it's not true is right. the main like Is Like if
1: it's like, why should I tell you what I'm going through? If you already know. Yeah. And there, there can be a way of minimizing it because you're not destroyed. Like I'm
0: destroyed. And yet you tell me, you know how I feel.
1: Yeah. So it can just go I mean, wrong in a yeah. few different
0: ways. And maybe that isn't true empathy either. Cause that's like, I was in a pit like you are right now too. Right. One time. Whereas like a better approach <clears throat> might be, or a more empathetic approach approach would be, I'm, I'm with you right now.
1: You know, and yeah. the, the it's more brown a, a present. Has yeah. has this line, which I, I've asked students about this. A lot of students will have stories about people who really said the wrong thing to them when they were in a, you know, in a really painful place. And I've asked them, what do you think about this sentence from Brene Brown? Someone has shared something really distressing. She says, she says, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just glad you told me. And students have agreed, if they had that experience, that that would have been a much better thing for people to say to them, I don't even know what to tell you right now. I'm just glad you told me. It's very opposite of, yeah. boy, I know just how you feel. Um, what's complicated is one of the approaches to empathy is called perspective taking. And for, I used to be really kind of nervous about perspective taking, which is when you ask yourself, what is there in my experience that is at least something like what this person is going through? But... When my father was dying, I was down in Texas doing a presentation. And he was the phone call was going to come any minute. And I remember I was with a pastor driving in a car. And we were talking about things. And all this pastor said to me was, you know, my dad died. And then all he said was, and here's what it was like. He said it was like losing my number one fan in the world and, and having him not being in the world anymore. He just said a couple of sentences. And it kind of changed my mind on perspective taking because all he was really saying to me was, "I know something about this." It wasn't saying, "I know just how you feel." It was just saying, "I know something about this." Um, and so the willingness to go to that place and feel that, you know, on a long quiet car ride, I suddenly saw there's some there's value to this. There really is value to this. Um, when I listened to a grief counselor um, years ago as a young pastor. He offered the metaphor for when you're in a situation that you know you don't understand. A woman married 45 years wakes up alone, you know? And you know you would never be tempted to say, boy, I know what you, how you feel. And that's probably a good thing that you would just have the humility of just really not knowing at all what that is. Um, and the metaphor he offered was that in your own mind, you, you think of this person as your teacher. And you think of yourself as your student. You maybe don't say it to them, but sort of what informs all the time you spend in the pit with someone is just you're mentally saying, teach me, teach me. So it's the opposite of saying, I know how you feel. It's it's I'm willing to try, even though I recognize the limitation. I'm willing to try.
0: And so what's coming out to me in mm-hmm. this aspect is that and I haven't thought about this before, at least that I can remember, is that empathy does not, is not prerequisite on you having experienced the wealth or depth of a a certain situation before, but it's more about your relation to the person who's, who's having that experience.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And so again, that the lack of life experience is not going to disqualify me from being uh, a supportive person. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, I have kind of a complicated case study that I'll let you respond to. John, I haven't prepared you for this one either. I'm, awesome. I'm more and more loving to spring things on you. It's a it's a situation that will almost sound raw when you first hear it, or it could be, could bother a person a little bit. But I've heard this story often from students where they have lost someone, like they lost a sister, lost a brother, whatever, lost a parent. And then a minister comes to, uh, to serve them. And he, let's say, quotes Romans chapter 8. And he says, well, we know all things work for the good of those who love God. And, and then the person leaves. And then the story here in a class would be like, it took us years to get over that. It took us years to get over with that called worker, minister, pastor did to us. Yeah. And what's, you know, what's troubling is how could that be wrong? How could, how could bringing the word of God to someone backfire so badly? And so, but I hear that story over and over, not endlessly, but yeah. it's been repeated. So what, what would you?
0: Hmm. When a time think? when quoting Romans twenty eight twenty eight would be inappropriate.
1: How can it go wrong? Yeah, would be the question.
0: Well, I mean, that I think it's kind of maybe a shame that that um, that verse gets quoted so often without like the surrounding text, mm-hmm. um, because there's so it it's not just that one verse that's like maybe. I'm trying to comfort you right now. Like, Mm -hmm. don't worry, everything's going to be great. Which is, I think, for sure, not the whole whole picture. I'm just going to pull up and read, like, maybe a few of the... Like, the, the section is titled Present Suffering and Future Glory, which I think... I don't think that putting the attention towards the future glory is always going to... Um, I think it neglects the present suffering aspect of that, where you want to honor both of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both part of the picture.
1: Right, because of all the verses you could have thought to apply, yeah. all the verses that would validate the feeling and the experience that this is a big thing that happened to you, It can that you chose a verse that... Went a different direction. And I think what you're what you were kind of saying was that there are other unintended messages. Yeah. You know. So I would define the problem with that scenario as something like the opposite of being Job's friends. So words instead of empathy. You throw some words at something instead of that time in the pit. The problem is not the words. It's a beautiful passage, and it could be done incredibly appropriately as far as applying it, but to get in and get out, I think is the issue. That's what I hear from these families. You get in, you yeah, get out. Yeah. And, and so the unintended messages like you were starting to say, like, what do you think? I don't know that verse. Is that what you're telling me? Or do yeah. you, you think I should be happy right now? Is that what you're saying? Do you, I don't know what you're saying to me when you, get in get out but yeah. don't actually join me
0: because that's not a lack of information and, and it, I can very well see someone saying that as a way to like I want to leave you right now I don't want to join I you I don't want to finish the, I don't want to have this difficult conversation and I want to ignore maybe the suffering that yeah. is happening right now
1: I think that's the meaning of the example and I just I can't say enough nothing wrong with the verse it's a beautiful verse and I even think that if I spend time with you and you were grieving and if I spent time with you and I was in the pit fully and then with you knowing my heart is breaking then I say to you but you know everything 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 in life conspires for our good which is that we would know Christ you know even now I, I guess I'm just saying there's a way to to take that verse in context
0: yeah you know and maybe there's a prerequisite for that verse having the powerful meaning that it does.
1: Right. So it says, "If for those who love God, I, I remember as a young person kind of wishing it would have said those that trust in God or believe in God, but it says those who love God, all things work for their highest good. You know, all things work for the good of them, that the meaning must be we love God. Why? Because he loved us first. And to love God is to see him as your highest good. And to love God is to know this is what life is. And And... And that God will do whatever he needs to do to reveal his son to me and get me home. You know, taking it in context, then to say, yeah, all of life conspires in this thing that you that you need the most. But but that my point here is if I, with breaking heart, I speak this way to you, it's not going to backfire. It's words instead of empathy that I think can yeah. tend to bring other messages than we didn't intend to say to people.
0: Yeah, because saying it's all going to work out. You're going to be in heaven too someday is doesn't mean that it doesn't still hurt right now, right. which is just kind of a, maybe a misreading of like, if that's mm. what you're intending yeah. to say like it, that, that isn't, so, that isn't you the, know, I call the it, person knows that idea, uh, in this situation, at least mm. it's not like that verse is like a, Buried gem inside of scripture it's yeah. it's very present and
1: I would make the same point that this you know that
0: it's not a lack of information it's a that that will bring comfort it's uh maybe the presence the um the being with that is more comforting mm. perhaps
1: you know i I think of these as Sunday school truths. And, and so when we're comforting someone we don't need to be fancy and yeah insightful or whatever that means but so the the Sunday school of truth that Christ is the son of God and he takes on our sorrows and and was not indifferent to our situation and and uh, God on the cross is Christ suffering for us and then he opened heaven to us the Sunday school of truth you know those can all be just the very best thing to offer to someone who is grieving. I, I, even the thought of heaven is is uh, just a great comfort in times like that. It's it's just again, if we're gonna just get in, get out, and slap some words, and then no fault of the scriptures, it's what other messages that we brought. Yeah, like that, the uh, benign that, application to, of these things right, to just, invalidate yeah. the fact that you're sad to invalidate the fact that we perpetually mourn, long for heaven. We're just not right till we're there. None of us are. And so especially in a loss that you would be really, really sad. This is not some problem with your faith. And so scriptures don't say that. It's just an unintended messages is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. It communicates something different, even if your intentions are good.
1: Mm-hmm. Or the other yeah. classic... Favorite verse, Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for yeah. you. plans
0: for
1: you yeah. not to harm you, you know. That, that verse is just used as a band This is all going to be great. <laughs> um, when in context, the verse is talking about complete devastation. Yeah. So, so God wiped his worship center out the face of the earth, as I've said before. Mm-hmm. And the next verse says what the plan is. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will have you in a place where your whole being is turned toward me and you'll, you'll find me that day. It's very different. The sense is very different than just sort of, Hey, cheer up. Yeah. You know, it is a God is at work here and, and there's a cost, but you're going to know him, you're going to find him Mm -hmm. and you'll, you'll consider this cross to be dear one day. So again, yeah, it's the verses are wonderful. And with joining people, um, what does the scripture say? Mourn with those who mourn. It's just a safeguard against things we don't intend to say. Yeah. like We don't intend to de- um, invalidate just the gravity and the weight of what people have lost or been through.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think. I don't think that that situation has happened to me per se, where someone's come to me with, uh, in, in a difficult time with a scripture passage that was maybe intended well, but not the message that needed to be heard. But mm. I can, I, I think I know some people who have had a similar thing. And as you're saying like, that's kind of what spurred this conversation mm. onward is like, what can we do to make sure that we are communicating the the right message mm-hmm. at the right time? Yeah. I think that's an interesting, uh, and this I think we have talked about before is like, what is the message that this person really needs to hear right now? mm -hmm. Or what's the message that I need to hear right now as like a, maybe a guide or a, like a practice to get into to see or reveal what, you know, reality is currently. So,
1: well, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. There's a verse that validates what grief is. The Christian is not, yeah. not told you shouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah. Something very, very different, you know. Um, I came across a metaphor, which my wife lost both a sister and a mother in a short time um, last year. And somewhere I came across this little picture. See if you like this. It's called the pain box. And so the pain box... I don't know
0: if I want to say if I like it or not. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> well, as a concept, yeah. um, it goes down this path of validating rather than invalidating yeah. what it's actually like. So you just can draw just a big square on a board. It's a really simple thing. And on one side of the box, you draw a little button. So that's what will be called the grief button. And then you put in the box, uh, draw a circle, which is a ball that just about fills the box up.
0: I've never heard this, by the way. Okay. So.
1: And so when the grief is fresh, when the loss is fresh, then you can imagine that that ball is constantly bumping into the button. So it's constantly, almost inevitably, hitting the that response or creating that response of just you know sorrow and feeling the weight of the loss and, and all the other things that come with that, the disorientation, the guilt, the, all of it, all of it. And so the idea is that what happens over time to the to the grief ball is that it gets smaller over time, and we're able to tell people having had experiences of this many many times over. Like for example, as a pastor, we can say you won't always feel this way every day. You know, the full range of experiences and emotions will come back, able to enjoy life again, and the ball gets smaller. But but they, what we're validating is that. No matter how small the ball gets, it still hits that button, you know. And so you can be two years, five years, twenty years into a loss, and one day it just hits the button, and it's like it's like today. It's like the loss is as real, as raw, as painful as it ever was. And I don't have enough experience of tragic loss e- either. I mean, I've lost people, but but uh, not in a lingering nightmare of grief. So I don't know, but people I've mentioned this to will say, that's exactly what it is. I, I had a student last semester say, yeah, I lost my grandpa when I was seven. And there I am in Menards and in the, whatever the gardening section. And I saw the kind of hole he used or rake or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's like she would never felt that intensity of grief yeah. before as a young person. But now she's 20 and she's just mm. staggered by how painful it is. And so. That may not be your experience. The loss of my father didn't hit me in that way just for a number of reasons. But for those that are like four or five, ten years in that are often wondering, why am I doing this wrong? Why am I, why am I, where, where am I? Just think it's a, it's a validating picture. Yeah, there are some
0: know? things that you'll experience that will maybe like trigger that mm-hmm. grief or push the button. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: Potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I,
0: I mean I can think of a few stories where that's like the the situation, like a child loses their father, and then some rent like in the middle of the night, getting something out of the freezer, and it triggers a memory for them, and it hits them very in a very real way, almost without like without warning, for sure. And I'm trying to was it Manchester by the Sea, maybe? that's just that one Um, but yeah and the Menards one is interesting too like it's just something that reminds you or brings it to the surface
1: Mm -hmm. I sometimes sense that my students worry about a lack of empathy and I just sort of tell them you know uh, life will kind of do this to you have babies with someone um, hold enough people's hands as they're passing out of this world and that uh, we all do a lot of us tend to get softened you know my father was a pastor of you know thousands of people st march watertown if you count everybody on the list yeah and um so he was just constantly when you're involved with that many people you're constantly involved with people at some level of real real suffering and grief and i remember how many times I heard the phone ring and my dad say, Hello, Pastor Potion, and then he would just pause and he hears somebody's bad news coming, and I would just kind of watch him. My whole childhood I saw this, just kind of kind of deflate, just kind of take a heavy sigh. He just kinda of gives himself a moment to absorb. And I I would love to be able to ask him what's happening in that ten second space, you know, whether yeah. it's perspective taking or what's going on, or it's just just an instinct. But he uh he would always say being at the hospital and um seeing the two boys that fall through the ice and just being being beside them with his with the boy's parents. He would just say that changed me. It just changed me. And so where this responsiveness, empathic responsiveness, responsiveness comes from, is not something a young person has to worry about. You know, I think it's experiences that do kind of carve us out a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I would maybe even say that like if that's the question that you're asking, it's in the right you're in the right like area. I agree. There no yeah. Someone who's blind to things and and maybe I don't know what to say, going through life recklessly or mm-hmm. but someone who's aptly unaware of their surroundings is not asking that question. Exactly. So so exactly. asking the question is like that that's a good space Mm -hmm. to be in Mm -hmm. and maybe the, the answer isn't as important as the fact that that question was asked Mm -hmm. in the first place. So you,
1: sure. You become aware of empathy as a thing. Yeah. I remember I I was at a, a long story short, I was at a woman's house and an older woman who had lost her husband not that long ago, but I, I was visiting her often. And at one point I said, Hey, Marilyn, you never talk about your mom. I, I, I've enjoyed asking older people about their parents and childhood and stuff. And, well, Marilyn, you never never talk about your mom. And and I remember this woman getting really kind of quiet and almost cold. And she finally said, you want to hear about my mom? OK, I'll tell you about my mom. And she said the last thing my mom ever said to me was, I should have had dogs. You know, instead of daughters, I should have had dogs. And it's just this stunning moment, and you think, what in the world do you say to that? But I remember it's it's kind of the first time I ever kind of channeled my father. I remember just without even thinking about it, I find myself having that same kind of quiet pause and like
0: the same mannerism, the same
1: sigh, same deflating. And I think we probably sat together in silence for I don't know how long, quite a long time, <laughs> minute two, I don't know. But and all I said was something like that, you know, that shouldn't have happened, you know? So it's not throwing a lot of words at something. It's it's uh, sometimes turning back to Sunday school truths, the ones who the one who loves her and how she knows and you know, one day all the sadness is behind us. We're in yeah glory with our savior. Just simple, simple, simple um, messages at that point. But so no worries about boy, do I have enough empathy? I mean, it's just yeah. a good to build awareness of how powerful and how useful and as human capability is that computers can't do, only people can.
0: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Is that what you had said before? Is that as like a, maybe a better response than like, Oh, I know what you're going through is like, I'm sorry that like that shouldn't have happened. I don't have a a perfect response. for that. Yeah. I don't know. Like that situation especially seems rather, um, sharp. Right is a, it cuts pretty deep. Right, and I I think I can see some people would, you know, charge headfirst and be like, "Oh no, you're valuable." Like Mm -hmm. things that the person already knows. It doesn't take away the fact that that happened. Right. And it doesn't. I'm just oh, suddenly I'm comfortable talking about this now.
1: No, I'm just gonna sit with you. I'm just gonna sit with you in that moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know what's interesting? So we do an empathy chapter in the communication class I teach. And so we get into some real heavy things, and there's always going to be someone in the room, or usually someone in the room who's grieving something, yeah. or someone at that point, or just different stages in the process. We talk all about the stages of grief and what we can say about each one in terms of faith, in terms of communication. But then what we always do is we, we come back to the notion of everyday empathy. And I don't know if we did this exercise with you. We if You can tell me if you remember it or if you have any impressions of it. We get into groups, and groups of four, and those groups um, cut up into two pairs. And then I just have students tell your story about why you're studying to be a pastor, teacher, staff minister. Just tell your story of how you ended up at mm. this college. And they tell a Two or three minutes story, and they exchange stories, and then they join up with the other pair. Now you got four people, and there's the awkwardness of hearing somebody else tell your story. So you're going to tell the story yeah. that was told to you, and you're going to include comments about what what was it like for that person to relive that story, you know? And so they were trying to think more about that, more commonly exercise capability. The instinct to find common ground, the instinct to find commonness of experience at the level of feeling. Your stories are different, but something inside them could really be the same stuff, you know? And we talked there about stories, exchange of friendship, and how we tell our stories has a lot to do with how we feel. The way we feel makes sense within the story. And so there's, we kind of like to come back to, again, the, the, the not just the big bad stuff, but the Romans verse that said, not just rejoice with those who rejoice, but or not just mourn with those who mourn, but rejoice with those who rejoice. Because yeah. that takes unselfishness too.
0: Yeah, empathy isn't just a response to bad things that exactly. happen. It's a it's a way of being with, a way of uh, presence. Absolutely. Kind of like anchoring into a situation and truly seeing like someone eye to eye, being in their shoes, yeah. putting yourself in their shoes, yeah, absolutely walking in those shoes, and that happens like. Like rejoicing in someone else's success is also, I think, the way we've defined it in empathy as well.
1: Yeah, there's a quote I remember. I'm calling it up on my phone right now. Um, Goes like this, how is empathy good for the empathizer? Here's the quote. Beings without empathy live in their own world. They can't really understand that other beings out there have minds of their own. But beings with empathy understand that there are all different minds around that have different experiences and different feelings. They can participate in them. Someone with empathy lives more than one life. Of course, sometimes that means that you have to carry the suffering of others. But in many cases, their joy becomes your joy as well. So it's a richer, much more complex life. And in that sense, of course, empathy is wonderful for you. So take that for what it is. yeah, could have a humanistic slant to it, but I don't think so. I think it's celebrating something God has made us capable of doing. Yeah. With, with each other.
0: Interesting. I like the like the idea of like when you're open, you like your eyes open and you see like everyone around me has their own little like mm-hmm. world as well. Mm-hmm. What were we just talking about earlier today at the? dictionary of obscure sorrows yeah. or something like that is there a word that oh I think kind fit-
1: socha yeah. so to put this in context this is group what would you call them oh. they they sense of um, places in our culture where words are missing and then they yeah. invent a word like what eye contact is actually like in mm-hmm. and someone and where vulnerability is like when you see it in other people And so, very fascinating. Yeah, it is Uh, fascinating. And the notion, we were just commenting on the notion that everybody's living a life as complex as yours. Everybody's living a life as complex as yours is. And and it's such a simple thought, but it does kind of say, I don't understand what's in other people, but I sure am going to try because it's part of feeding this fascination with people. If they're as complex as me, my goodness.
0: Yeah. You know, it's like bringing. The the feeling of being brought into that awareness right. is rather
1: So that was our point with the for sure. cultural thing last episode was okay, there's some barriers there, but I sure I'm gonna try. I sure I'm gonna not give in to pessimism that we could never actually understand. Other people it's just gonna maybe take some work when there are certain barriers between us. But so empathy, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. Mourmer those who mourn. And Paul is saying this is what makes our love sincere, not a not a performance, not an act, but something that's genuine.
0: Yeah. I think we could probably tie this in a little bit to the, like the skill of being able to listen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just, and I, I like to expand that into um, more of like a general awareness rather than just like it's not just what you hear. It's the things that you're perceiving. Like, are you perceiving nonverbals? What are you, you know, all your senses Mm -hmm. kind of
1: paying attention to the whole person in front of you, not
0: just their words. Yeah.
1: So we should do listening sometime soon.
0: Yeah. That would be, uh, let's do that. Let's do it. Maybe the next time, next next time time. I make the, make the trip down here
1: to where two or three studios. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, uh, there's a, I love this room, actually. There's a pretty interesting mural on the wall, which I think we've talked about before, which I cannot put into words. Um, There's also a folder over there that says thesis generator, which is also fascinating to me. There's
1: a book on the wall that says defeating lawn pests is the name of the book.
0: The sound of the wind on the windows outside. I feel like we're maybe wrapping up. I think we are wrapping up. Yeah. I think the appropriate dessert would be some more of this dictionary. The dictionary of, of obscure sorrows. I, I might just pick a few words to Go ahead. kind of tease some people with. To There's, uh, I told you my favorite one was um, um, monocopsis, I think. Um, but the, the subtle but persistent feeling of being out of place mm. as mal-adapted to your surroundings as a seal on a beach, kind of clumsy, easily distracted, huddled with other misfits, unable to recognize the ambient roar of your intended habit. Okay, that got a little bit <laughs> out, out of hand, but the feeling of being out of place was very, that resonated to me. I think that's kind of a, Sometimes I strive for that. Like, I I like that feeling. So it kind of pushes me to put myself in situations where I'm not 100% comfortable, so to speak.
1: And this is that whole brand of calm scholarship, maybe this has been said too, called phenomenology, which tries to get at what things are like. Yeah. What is it like? It tries to put words to things that don't have the words. So, yeah, I like that one.
0: Kenopsia. There's another good one. And I don't know, the pronunciation for these, you can't look them up. You just kind of have to go with it. Um, but the Canopsia, the eerie, forlorn atmosphere of a place that's usually bustling with people but is now abandoned and quiet.
1: That's a perfect example. Boy, we need a word for that. Yeah. Now we have one.
0: I mean, almost every day I encounter this mm-hmm. and I need the word, and now I have it. Canopsia Just make one up as the point. Yeah, just
1: make up a <laughs> word. We're good to go. Yeah,
0: pseudo etymology and boom, new words. All right. Yeah. So, Thank you, John. This has been fun. Yeah. All this well, Fun is the
1: wrong word to talk about what we just talked about, but
0: <laughs> well, it's a part of it. Sure. Um. Yeah, I think kind of obvious, maybe on the nose, the. The benefits of taking empathetic approach into the world, um, but then I think the the fun part for me today in this discussion was kind of opening up like when is it not the right approach, mm-hmm. and what are like the cautions to maybe when you think you're having an empathetic approach, but mm-hmm. really you're maybe I'm misreading the situation, or you're saying something that is isn't really needing to be said sure. when something else is is what's called for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, brief shout out to our sponsors (laughs) (laughs) go check them out Um, (laughs) we have sponsors no we don't (laughs) but I felt I'd give them a shout out anyway oh
1: gosh thanks John
0: yeah Uh, thanks all for listening Uh, we'll see you next time next time bye